The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. I want to take this opportunity to appreciate the, the pastor of the house, Pastor Lucas, and the, the plurality of, uh, of elders. Uh, we want to appreciate the time that you have given to us. We have just come to the church and uh, I've realized how the worship went and uh, it speaks about Christ and it also speaks about the ancient word that we must take heed to. Uh, and also that uh, we need to make sure that we come with our hearts open to hear from the Lord. Well, in the world that we live into, you know, it is not welcoming to believers, people who are centered around Christ. Even the Word of God tells us that we are not citizens of this world. We face suffering, we face tribulation, we face challenges sickness of our bodies, lack of jobs, poverty and poor, just because we are who we are, believers in Christ. And at some point we end up doubting and stop trusting the Lord. We end up even envying the wicked, the arrogant, the people who don't believe in Christ. Well, these constant trials will make you to even doubt his love, his goodness to the righteousness. When you do what we call a comparative analysis, when you look at the world with an unbiblical worldview, and that is the challenge that we are facing. We come to a passage where we found a choir leader a worshiper called Asaph, one of the three choir leaders during the time of King David and also during the time of Solomon. Asaph, the one who wrote 11 Psalms in the third book of Psalms. You must know the Psalms are divided in five books and in this very one, Psalm 73, is the first in the 11 within the third book of Psalms. The other one is Psalm 50 that was written by this choir leader, the worshiper, the one who was close to King David. So, brothers and sisters, whilst we are still fresh from a wonderful phrase, and worship. Let us go together to the book of Psalm 73. Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My step had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant 
as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their bodies is fed. They are not troubled as other men, nor are they plucked like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garments of violence cover them. Their eyes bar them from fatness. Their imagination over their hearts ran riot. They mock, wickedly speak oppression. They speak from on a high. They have set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, he's the wicked. People return to his place. And waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? as is the knowledge with the Most High. Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease, they are increased in wealth. Verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long. And trust in every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I will have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceive their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by certain terror. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pissed within, then I was senseless and arrogant. I was like a beast before you, Lord. Nevertheless, I'm continuously with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterwards, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? I am besides you. I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from will perish. You have destroyed those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell all your one, your good works, all your works. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, this is the day that you have made and we shall rejoice in it. 
We thank you for the time and the purpose, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We invite you, Lord, in this service, that you guide us, you open our hearts, you open our minds to understand, to understand the clarity of the word written by you. Father, we thank you in the name and the only name above all names, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to show you through the reading of this passage that it is important to trust the goodness of God in all circumstances. I will do that by first looking at the envy of over the prosperity of the wicked. That is the first point. And the second point that I will show you through the passage that it is by proclaiming the justice of God that you find the right perspective, the, the, you find the right understanding of the word of God. So the title of this message is Trusting the Goodness of God in All Circumstances, in All Your Situation, in All Environment. Trusting the Goodness of God. And to explain that, we'll, be, we'll look at the first point within this theme. Envy over the prosperity of the wicked. And unpack it with three points. We look at their prosperity. We look at their pride. And we look at their presumption. And then move to the second point of this passage the proclaiming of the justice of God. We also dissect this second point with three important points. We look at his perspective, the perspective from God, his judgment, and his guidance. Now, we are going to see from the first point Envious over the prosperity of the wicked from verse 1 to 14. Verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. This declaration has been true over the years. I'm sure Asaf, the choir leader, the worshiper, knew the, uh, the Torah. He knew the history of Israel. Because he was close to King David, he knew how Israel was released from captivity. He knew how Moses led Israel out of Egypt. He knew how God was able to provide water, manna, meat, food for them. He knew how God was able to protect them against Philistine and other nations. He knew how God made them able through Joshua to win the battle against I, the nations. So Asaf, as a worship leader, knew very well the very goodness of God. That's why the word that is very important that you must not miss, surely, it means truly. He has the assurance of the goodness of God. Then Asaf immediately moved from confirming the goodness of God to a personal crisis. 
He says, but. A contrast. But. Nevertheless, but. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, faltered. My steps had nearly slipped. Look at the word but. Even though he had a good theology on who God is, he has the history of the goodness of God on Israel. He nearly backslidden. He started to doubt his theology. A sinful and jealous envy is making inroads in his heart. Yes. A respectable, normalized sins that we studied. He started to encroach in his heart. What does he do? Asaf. He became jealous of, of wicked. He envied them. Verse 3. For I was envious. Listen to what is. I was envious of the arrogance, the evildoers, the wrongdoers, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The word envy reflects a sinful act which falls in the group of normalized of respectable sin that we studied through our pastor. The word prosperity also means in, the, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, shalom, peace. That implies a peace that comes from accumulating wealth, peace that comes from material things. So Asaf becoming envious. It is when he saw the prosperity, peace over material wealth of the wicked, that he seemed to be peaceful life of the unbelievers, the evil people. That's what we see even ourselves, where we become envious. Don't we? You must check them, somebody next to you and check if he has never or she has never been envious, jealous of what he see next door. People buying new cars, building, and you think they are peaceful. They find peace. He's envious. Sinful jealousy by what we see. By what he sees and what his theology is saying. There is contradiction between that. And Asaf was perplexed. Why? Why is Asaf envious? His theology is God's promise, blessing, are for the pure in heart, the single-minded, in their devotion to God. Matthew 5, verse 8 confirms that. What he sees is the prosperity, the peace over material wealth of the bad people, wicked people, the arrogant. He sees like things are vice versa. He sees that God should only be a blessing. God should be good only to the, to the righteous. But we know that the rain comes for everybody. The blessing of God comes for everybody. But in this case, it was the righteous. That is his confusion. The pure in heart whose lives are hard while the arrogant and the wicked were enjoying the prosperity. Instead of despising and condemning the wicked, it seemed God was being good to the point where Asaf found himself envying them. Asaf go to an extent. 
describing that prosperity, that lifestyle, from verse 4 to verse 12, from that biblical world perspective or view. Now there are two perspectives here. The worshiper, the choir leader, the man close to, to, to David, who served in the sanctuary and who served in the temple, is now seeing the world in the eyes of the earthly point of view. He has moved from the eyes of the godly point of view. He moved from that. Now he's he becoming Canaan. Verse 4. For they have no pangs, no struggle, until death their bodies are fed and sleek. The wicked and the arrogant, no suffering on earth, hence there are big bodies, obese, overweight, as a sign of enough in their basket. Just one disclaimer, not everybody who's obese is wealthy or has peace of materiality. Not. They are not in trouble as others, that's verse 5. They are not striking like the rest of mankind. The word others and mankind, it does not refer to the wicked. It does not refer to the arrogant. It refers to the pure in heart. It refers to believers. It refers to him as if he included himself amongst those who are suffering. They are enjoying good health. Those are the wicked. Free from burdens and sickness that is experienced by the poor people. It seemed the righteous were working for, for them. Or they were enslaved by these wealthy, wicked people. Number of us people are working. We are, not, we are employed by those who don't believe. And we find this kind of behavior. Now, because of their pains, because of they don't struggle for uh, with what we struggle with because they don't get sick, because they have enough. Therefore, verse 6, pride is that necklace. Violence covers them as garments. It makes them arrogant. These wicked people. That's what Asaf was envious. That's what Asaf is jealous about. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly, iniquity. They think they are greater people ever lived. They think that the greatest people ever lived. They scoff and speak with malice. Evil cruelty, lofty and arrogantly, they threaten oppression. And that everybody is disgraceful, dishonorable, and shameful except themselves. This wicked. And that's what Asaf is envying. That is the wicked and the arrogant kind of life. They set the mouth against the heavens. What a mistake. And they tongue strengthened through the earth. Their behavior, brothers and sisters, reflects people who think they are greater than God. Hence, they set the mount against God. Therefore, this wicked. 
His people turned back to them. The people followed them. They come to them. Why are they following them? They are going back to them because his people also drink water in abundance. They have enough. That's why people follow them. They have sufficient to provide to them. And they say, how can God know? Listen to this. Is there knowledge in the Most High? These are the wicked. Questioning the attribute of God. His omniscience, His omnipresent, His all-knowing. They question. Making God irrelevant. This shows the level of arrogance that comes with the earthly, temporary, material things. Behold, this are the wicked. So this is the life that Asaf is reflecting. Like as we look at them daily, we become envious. At some point, our feet slip. We nearly backslide when we go to school and look at other people. When we look at other churches where it is full of people, we look at ourselves and say, but why? We start to question ourselves. At the workplaces, we question ourselves. When promotion comes, it does not come to us. And but we say, this wicked people. Verse 3 and 12 express that. It gives the lifestyle of the wicked. It shows how they are, how they believe. It shows how Asaf moved from a biblical perspective, a godly perspective, to an earthly perspective, to the world perspective, to unbiblical worldview. That is the mistake that Asaf nearly did, which he did. Verse 13. So Asaf come to a point of presuming, his presumption, all in vain, hopeless, have I, Asaf, kept my heart clean and washed my hands in Israel. Imagine that. Finding myself questioning, making introspection, questioning that. He does not, not think it is necessary to live righteously. He starts to doubt that. For all day long I've been stricken, afflicted, troubled and affected, and rebuked. New punishment every morning. That's what he came to feel. Have you ever felt like that? Where you come to church, where to serve God, where you've been honest all the time, and you keep on living under suffering, and those who don't do well, those corrupt leaders, those corrupt politicians, those corrupt businessmen are doing well. You are a businessman, but you find those corrupt service providers, your next door neighbor are doing well. And you start to question yourself. You start to introspect. You start to meditate upon your life. Or, but what is wrong? If I had said, I will speak this, that I will have betrayed the generation of your children. That, that, that is Asaf. 
Remember, he's a, he's, he, he's a, he's a choir leader. He's a, he's a worship leader. There are people who are following him. He never said anything. You know, brothers and sisters, we need to learn that when we find ourselves in that concussion of introspection, we need to remain ourselves and try to, to think about it and not spread without understanding. Because that's what we learn from ourselves. When he was envious, when he was sinfully jealous, one thing that I've realized, he kept everything to himself, even though he was a leader. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me worrisome, tedious, tiresome, wearing task. That's what we feel. Imagine, you drive five years to the church, about 30 kilometers all the time coming to the church, saving the Lord, and your business is going not well. But the other people who don't even serve the Lord, they gain profit. You'll ask this question. This is not, you'll become envious. You'll become jealous. <laughs> so, if you are asked up, what will you do? Where will you seek intervention? Where will you go if you are Asaf? You are not, but you are a believer in Christ. What will you do when you find this situation? When you are sick? What will you do? Then Asaf went to the sanctuary. That's where he proclaimed of the justice of God. That's where we see the proclamation of the justice of God. Asaph. And he started to move from the earthly perspective to the moving away from material kingdom. He moved to God's perspective. He started to see the world in eyes, in the eyes of God. He start to see the world from a biblical world point of view. Verse 17. Until, what a powerful statement that we get from the passage. Until I went into the sanctuary. That is a building, a place where believers meet for worship. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I descend the end. This is the turning point of a man who teaches others how to worship God. A man full of knowledge of God with doubts. He began to see life through God's perspective when he went into the sanctuary of God. Look at the word until. It reflects the end of the time you spend and analyzing the world, the life of the wicked from a worldly point of view. It signified the beginning of God's perspective. It reflects the end's one initial view and begins of the new thinking of view. What do we mean by sanctuary? Maybe we need to go to this word. It's a holy place. 
it's a temple you find in the tabernacles in the innermost recent or holiest part of temple the word sanctuary signified the holy place what makes that place holy is what is inside but it is not the place which is important but it's it is what you find there it is what you find there what do you find you find a community of believers you find the word of god you find praise and worship you find counseling you find biblical studies you find a community of believers who want to pray all the time prayer but most of all you find the lord you find god the creator of heaven and earth the one who knows the past and the future the one who was there before the beginning. That's what you find. It. That is important. So Asaph says, until I went to the presence of God. Oh, believers, imagine the whole six days you had challenges. You have challenges and you come to the presence of God on a Sunday and you get this great worship. You get this ancient word. So what did Asaf do? He went to a holy place to seek intervention. He did not seek friends, advice, the wisdom of man. He did not seek the intelligence of books, of news or television. He went to the sanctuary where the Lord is. Now, this part and this behavior of Asaf take us to what to see. What will the Lord do with God's judgment? Truly, you set them in a slippery place. That's what you start to see in the church. Looking at the God's perspective. Not on the solid rock, but they're on a seeking sand, as we see. You, God, make them fall in rain. Apostle Paul stated in Romans 1, 24, to reflect this and simplify that, that God gave them over to the sinful desire of their heart and that's what we see he now realizes that it is and it is the arrogant and the wicked who are slippery that are on a slippery place that are on a sinking sand he now realizes the consequences of the arrogant and the wicked people is destruction is devastation Asaf is able to understand now that the results of the wicked and the arrogant actions will lead them to eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. This is what Asaf understood. They are the ones on slippery place, on a sinking sand. He now realizes that he is on the solid rock, on the solid place, on the solid ground. Yes, Charles Spurgeon Put it clearly to us. I don't know if you can go through the seminary and never heard about this great man, Charles Spurgeon. He put it slightly and simplified it. Sinners. Sinner you may fall now at once. From you, slippery standing, you fall and you are gone forever. Death may make a place where you stand slippery. For it is dissolve your life. It dissolve your life. Every hour, 
time makes it slippery. For every instant it cuts the ground under your feet. The vanities which you enjoy make your place slippery. For they are all like ice which will melt before the sun. Your material kingdom, it will melt before the sun. It's a temporary peace. You have no foothold. Sinners, you have no sure hope. Unlike believers, where we have hope. No confidence. It is the smelting thing you are trusting. A melting thing that you are trusting. That's what Asaf tells us. Spurgeon put it very clear that we should not envy the prosperity, the temporary material peace of the wicked. We are on a solid rock. Verse 19. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away entirely by terror. Like a dream when one awakes, Lord, when you rose yourself, you despise them as ghosts. This is a metaphor referred to the prosperity of the wicked that is temporary. Their wealth and peace will disappear without notice, quickly in no time. Asaf then shifted his focus from the earthly perspective to the godly internal perspective. Hence the guidance of the Lord God. Then we move to the point of the guidance of, from the Lord. Verse 21 says, My soul was embittered. When I was grieved, pierced, cut in heart, I was brutal, senseless and ignorant, oblivious, unaware, uninformed. I was like a breeze towards you, Lord. Nevertheless, I'm continuously with you. You hold my right hand. So it is as I've come to the Lord now, in the presence of the Lord, like we came in the church. It matters not what happens. I know you uphold me. That's what he says. It is I, the Lord, who keeps me holding, not to go astray. So what we understand here, as we go through our challenges in life, as we go through our tribulation, our suffering because of being Christians, it is not us. The fact that we are not, we somehow we think we are slippery, but it's because of the Lord, our Savior, who's holding us, not the other way around. Sometimes we forget what the word says, but the Lord does not forget. His love, like you said, is perfect. You guide me with cancer, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. He is in the sanctuary. He is in the church. He starts to realize what is happening. And verse 25. Brothers and sisters, if you have missed anything, don't miss this one. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Who it is I? Who is this, this you? Who is this you that Asaf desire? 
It is Jesus Christ in heaven, the Son of the living God, who is seated on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, the one who is preparing the place for believers. It is the Savior, our Savior and our Redeemer. It is the Lord, my God, said Thomas, when he confirms. The one seated position and place on the right hand of his father, Jesus Christ. Whom do we desire more than anything like Asaph? Whom? The Lord God Jesus Christ, the only hope of glory, the only one who could be trusted under all circumstances. All things in heaven, on earth, were made by him, through him. He's the one who will return gloriously to come and judge us. Whom have I in heaven but you, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one whom we are promised to rule with him from the millennium to eternity, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the one that we have. The one that we should desire. Not the temporary earthly material kingdom. Let us not allow this sinful act to enter ours, in our hearts. Listen to, what the, to the one that we trust, the one we love, the one who went on the cross for us, Jesus Christ. Listen to how he put, he put it, brothers and sisters. He will separate those who will live with forever in heaven from those who will be punished. As visitors here, You must know that when physical death enters, your prosperous life starts. But for the wicked and the arrogant, when physical death enters, their trouble starts. And that's what we learn from Jesus Christ of the living God. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Once again, it is the Lord in us that keeps us from falling and failing. Verse 27, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. The psalmist's message was correctly captured again by Spurgeon. You may think you can live very well without Christ, but you cannot afford to die without him. Let me repeat it. You may think you can live very well without Christ, but let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you cannot afford to die without him. And that's why when he concludes Asaf, just picture this worship leader. After going through the world perspective, now he's coming to the biblical perspective, the godly perspective. When he concludes his psalms, he says, But for me, it is good to be near 
nearer to God, the nearness of God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. The other translation says, the sovereign God, that I may tell all your works. He does a comparative analysis between 27 and 28. In 27 he says, for behold those who are far. In 28 he says, but for me it is good to be near to God. Brothers and sisters, you have no option as a believer. You just have to make sure that you are near to God. It's not only when you come to church, but whilst you are at home, give yourself to read the word of God. Study it. Go through it. Because that's why you get cancer. Be part of the prayer group. And go to a secret place also. And pray. That's what we must take home. That we need to avoid to look at the world from the earthly perspective and move to the biblical worldly view. From the internal eyes of God, we need to look at the world and what is happening. We conclude, avoid the biblical worldview. Always have the biblical worldview of things. Always seek the things that are above. When you visit the book of Colossians, as I conclude, You'll hear Apostle Paul say that yes, because you come from the world, you come from the earthly things, you have lived there. But now, listen to what he says in Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now that you have been transformed, you have been regenerated. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. Spending time in prayer, seeking God guidance, spend time in fellowship with believers in Christ, attend Bible studies and prayer meetings with the believers, and come to church always, if not regularly. Like Jesus Christ said, he went through sorrows, he went through suffering, but he knew that he came for us, he left his glory and come on this earth and he sent himself, present himself as the Lamb of God for our own sorrows, for our own sins. Crucified, died, buried, he resurrected on the third day and ascended to prepare a place. He never lies, left us as orphans. He sent the help of the Holy Spirit. That is our Lord and Savior. The Psalm 73 truly points us to Christ, to trust Jesus Christ in all our circumstances, to stop envying, to stop looking at the world from the unbiblical point of view, but to look at the world from the perspective of God. Let us pray. Our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, we thank you for your weight. We thank you for your indulgence. We thank you for speaking to us. We pray that, Father, the word that you have spoken, it goes through our heart, it peace in. 
It stays in our mind that the Holy Spirit can illuminate and make us sure that we understand. Father, we pray that we live according to your word. We pray that you guide us and you give us counsel as we go through your word. Sola Scriptura. We thank you, Lord. In the mighty name and the only name above all names, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen.